Did you know that the perfect snack exists that not only has the yum factor, because that's important, but also packs a real protein punch? I'm talking about Wonderful Pistachios, a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Now that's a snack you can feel really good about. It's hard for me to currently pick a fave because they have several flavors to choose from, including no salt and jalapeno lime options. But if I absolutely had to, I'd say I'm in my no shells, wonderful pistachios, sea salt and vinegar era. It's the ultimate snacking solution for when you need a quick, convenient and tasty boost of pistachio goodness straight out of the bag. Whether you enjoy the ritual of cracking open each nut or you lean towards the ease of no shells, Wonderful Pistachios has something for everyone. It's time to elevate your snacking game with Wonderful Pistachios. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Hey, welcome back to the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. My name is Bree Mitchell, and I'm the host of the show, as well as the founder of Brown Girl Self-Care. Brown Girl Self-Care is a space for Black women who are looking to get to where the liberation, joy, and healing resides, just like me. I'm so glad that you're here. Today, I have a really good episode for you. I am in conversation with Miss Mary Frances Winters. Now, Mary Frances is the founder and CEO of the Winters Group, which is a 39-year-old diversity and inclusion consulting firm. So when I say that she has been doing this work for a minute, she has been doing this work for a minute, okay? And she's also the author of seven books, including the book we'll be discussing and diving into today called Black Fatigue, but her most recent work is called Racial Justice at Work. Now, this conversation we're going to have is really good, so I really want you to make time to... um, just you know be in alignment with this conversation because we're not only going to be talking about black fatigue but also about just some ways that we can center ourselves as we continue healing as well um there is a point in the conversation where i say that it feels like this work just (laughs) it will never be done and so i'm we we kind of talked about that too so Let's go ahead and dive into this conversation, and I hope that it resonates with your spirit the way it did for me, and I will see you on the other side. I stumbled down the rabbit hole as I tend to do, looking up different ideas and trying to learn as much as I can, obviously, and I found your book and I read it, and it was, I I mean, I don't know, I, I was just very floored by the book, so I wanted to ask you to get us started, like, why did you write this book and who was it for? Thank you for that question. Um, I wrote the book, um, as you mentioned, um, I'm in the consulting business and have been in the consulting business you know, for a very, very long time. And as I was going into uh, organizations a few years ago, talking with um, doing focus groups and listening sessions with black and brown people, they were using this term, they were saying, you know, we're tired going to different organizations. So it just wasn't one organization. We're tired. And sometimes I would tease and I'd say, you're 25 years old. How are you tired already? You know, I've been out here a long time. You've been tired. And they'd look at me, you know, like, I respect you, older lady. However, we know we're tired. So it got me to thinking that if the younger generation is already saying that they're tired, you know, of the racism, of microaggressions, of being othered, and all of those things that, you know, just living while Black, right? In, in, In essence, just living while Black. And to say it to that depth of, of um, you know, just the, the, the depth of the sincerity and the pain actually um, that I heard, um, 
I, I said, you know, I've got to write this book on black fatigue. So my, my publisher said, uh, who is it for? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, man, it's more for white people because black people, we already know we're fatigued. But what I have found is that in fact, it's not for white people. I mean, some white, white people have read it and, and do read it, but it really is for us. And people have told me that they feel validated. They feel affirmed. They feel like, oh my gosh, yes, this happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I'm not out here alone because in a lot of organizations that I go into, um, that person, that black person might be the only black person in that department. Mm-hmm. Maybe not at the whole company, right? But in that department. So they may be the only. And so they're dealing with what goes on with when you're the only one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that the book was also very useful um, for, for Black people. Yeah. Uh, speaking of being the only one, I can definitely identify as being the only one, not specifically in, because I worked for a very large definitely fortune 500 i'm i'm wondering if they're even like somewhere fortune 100 yeah yeah I'm, I'm wondering and i won't say the business name but it's a huge corporation right. but um i was the only one specifically to my knowledge in my specific department but yes you're right there's a black person here a black person here but in my on my specific team i was the only black one mm-hmm. and i worked in an office environment where um it was hard for me because not only was i the only one so I was like in a support role for this larger team. Mm-hmm. My, my department was a support role for this larger team. And there were black people that I supported on that team as well. Mm-hmm. I found that I got along much easier with the black people. There was less headbutting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dealt, I, I had my own traumas and stuff that I was, I didn't even know that I had trauma right. when I was working. I didn't mm-hmm. even know, but I couldn't figure out why I kept having these problems with like my non-black co-workers that just couldn't seem to get me so reading your book and and just allowing what you were saying especially the chapter well all of it's relevant but especially the chapter that you write specifically about black women and black women Mm -hmm. fatigue just hearing what you had to say about that really resonated with me it was like kind of like ah (laughs) thank you you know thank you yeah and studies show that um you know black women in particular have a very unique experience. Um, there are articles all the time. There was just one um, last week about these three black women executives, or they had been executives, and they're no longer, you know, executives. But because of um, the things that they went through, you know, not being heard, not being valued, not being validated. Um, and there was also another article recently that talked about. It was called uh, "Black Women Exodus from the United States," and it was saying that. Did you see that one? That black women. No, I didn't. Moved. But I. Yeah, black women are actually leaving the United States, you know, moving to um, the Caribbean and to uh, Europe, even in Asia, even, you know, just moving moving outside of the United States, um, you know, to find, um, you know, to find places that I don't know. I'm sure that the racism is there, but it's different. Right. Um, And perhaps to find some peace, to find some peace and to find some, you know, to find some solace and, you know, just just, um, you know, recognizing that it is. yeah, it's it's challenging. Yeah, it's it's hard. And in the book, you talk about how racism breaks us down mentally, emotionally, physically, like in every way that we mm-hmm. consider our humanity. You know, it breaks us down in every in every single way. Um, for someone that is listening, 
because this podcast is geared specifically to black women. So that's typically who I address uh, for the black woman who is listening to this podcast episode. Can you give her if she's not familiar, like ways that racism can affect us mentally, physically, you know, emotionally? Yeah. So there's that one chapter in the book also that talks about um, how it, you know, it, it's all related to health. You know, racism literally makes us sick is the name of the you know, is the, is the name of the chapter. Um, so this is maternal health. Uh, is it week or month for, for Black women? Um, and we know that Black women um, are at least twice as likely um, to have issues with fertility, uh, at least twice as likely to have um, low birth weight babies, uh, at least twice as likely to, to miscarry, have stillborn babies. And that is for women who are quote, middle class, right, upper socioeconomic level. So it's not just for, so we can't correlate it to poverty. We can't correlate it to not having access to health care. It is, as a matter of fact, statistics show that poor white women have a better chance of having a full-term, you know, healthy baby than middle-class Black women. So it affects us um, in our reproductive um, you know, in reproductive uh, aspects. Um, And there are studies that show that these differences are connected to racism because it's not connected to access to to, to care. So when you think about, let's think, let's, so let's talk about quote, the professional black woman, the black woman who has gone to college because more black women go to college than, um, you know, than any other group. And so you're educated and now you're going into the, you know, into the workplace and you are daily um, dealing with uh, what are called microaggressions, Mm -hmm. um, these small little slights. I know when I was in the workplace, the reason I started my own business 39 years ago was because uh, I would come home crying every single night because I, I just felt so not heard and just felt so, you know, um, you know, treated, treated poorly, even sexism. So, Black women have to deal with sexism and racism, you know, the, the, the same. Studies have shown that uh, affirmative action, that white women were the most recipients of affirmative action. They, they got the most benefit, you know, from affirmative action. Right. So every single day, um, there is a, uh, you know, w- whether you're up in the upper socioeconomic levels or in your middle or lower, wherever you, wherever you might be, um, you're subjected to microaggressions, these little slights, you know, can I touch your hair or, um, you know, just um, uh, not being heard in a meeting, you know, not uh, somebody else, ne- somebody else five minutes later says the same thing that you said. And, um, but you weren't, but you weren't heard. Um, feeling that you have to be um, twice as good to get half as far. So mistakes are looked at. So if you're a black woman and you make a mistake, it's looked at more critically. Um, you know, than if you're a white woman, white women, white people in general, but white women, you know, are given the, the benefit of the of the doubt. Uh, when we look at the uh, perception of uh, of black women and, you know, over over history, you know, the Aunt Jemima uh, type of uh, perception. And they did, um, you know, they, they stopped branding. Um, they, they retired right. uh, or put to bed, or, you know, or whatever, or buried, you know, Aunt Jemima. But when you think about um, uh, when black women are are um, held up and heralded and get get awards and whatnot, like thinking about Halle Berry in the movie, what was the Monsters Ball? And yeah, yes. she got the, she got the um, Academy Award for that. But look at the role that she played. That, in, she had to play. you know, mm-hmm. that, that she played in that, right? 
And so those are the kind, you know, the, the kinds of things that, you know, um, in, the org, in, in corporations, oftentimes black women are seen as the angry black woman, right? Um, or you're too passionate and, you know, why are you so loud? And, you know, all of those kinds of stereotypes. And so to the extent that we, you know, try to change ourselves, right? To, to be more, to be more like something else. And that's what I was happening, was happening for me in the workplace. You know, one boss said I was too aggressive. Another boss said I wasn't aggressive enough. And so you don't know how to be, right? You don't know how to come in. So that's stressful. You know, that's, that's creating stress because you do need to, you know, need, you need to feed your family. Let's look at the other end of the uh, socioeconomic scale. Um, black women who um, have, have low incomes, that they're working at entry-level jobs, um, they uh, oftentimes don't have any benefits. A third of Black women um, are still in entry-level jobs, and many of those entry-level jobs don't provide benefits. They don't provide the resources that are, are needed. So when you think about, you know, many black women are single, single mothers, and there's, there are reasons there, there are deep reasons for that that date back to slavery. It's you no, know, it's not just because black men are trifling or, you know, I mean, there, there are deep reasons, you know, for that. And when you look at that, um, you know, needing to be a single mother. Um, so there's a saying that says um, black men get locked up and black women get locked out. Black women mm. are two times more likely to be evicted from uh, their apartments or you know, their living situations because, you know, they, they can't, um, they can't pay the rent. So it's a system. And we talk about systemic racism. It's a system that, you know, so if, if you have been evicted, then when you go to, you know, I'm getting myself back on my feet now, right? So now I'm going to go and look for another place to live where well, you have an eviction on your record. So we won't rent to you. So then you're limited to where you can go. And so, you know, all of this causes stress, all of this, uh, you know, impacts our physical, uh, mental and emotional well-being. And oftentimes we are caretakers, not only for children, but we're caretakers for um, el our elderly parents. And so we might not take care of ourselves. We might not go to the doctor when we have a little pain or an ache because we can't, because we, um, you know, because we have to go to work, because we have to get the kids to, you know, doing this, because we've got to do something for somebody else. And so all of those things, um, are stressors and they call it weathering, this term weathering. And what that means is that um, it's it's intergenerational. And so there's something in our, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not gonna go very far into this, but there's something in our um, biological, you know, some, makeup system that, that this kind of stress gets built into your DNA and then it gets passed down to generation to generation. So we ask, you know, why is it that you've got three generations of, of hot, you know, families with high blood pressure, with diabetes, with you know, with heart disease, it's because of the it's because of the the stress, and they call it you know they call it um weathering. And there's evidence now that they're doing a lot of research, and there's evidence now that it is racism, not your race, because they used to connect it that oh, genetically black people were just you know more prone to these things, but the underlying cause of why black people are more prone to these things is racism. Mm, profound. Because I never even really thought about it that way. Because you're right, when we go into the doctor's office, like when you're a new patient, what is it called? Like an intake form or something like mm -hmm. that. And they ask mm -hmm. you the different, you know, just your history and things history. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what about your father's side and this and that? And they're very careful to figure out like, okay, heart disease or cancer or I don't know, other issues. But you're right, like it's not taken into account. It's taking account of the, the medical history, of course, but it's mm -hmm. not giving you the whole, the whole view here. Right. right. And and the medical profession is not taught mm -hmm. to, to have that whole view. 
So very few medical schools, more now, but you know, over the years, very few medical schools really um, looked at um, the social, what they call it the social determinants of health. What are the social determinants, like environment, like, you know, like racism. Mm -hmm. You know, more black people live in neighborhoods where um, there's um, the air quality is, is, is really poor. So that's environmental racism, right? And uh, lead, right? Um, the water in Flint, Michigan, Jackson, Mississippi, you know, those are all places where it impacted um, black people more than any other, any other group. Mm. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something that you said, because it triggered something for me when you were talking about just your experience in corporate America and why you started your consulting firm, <laughs> which I find like a lot of black women like, I, oh, by the way, I'm so sorry. I was supposed to tell you at the beginning of the call that Damari, <laughs> I was thinking about oh, my Damari. <laughs> yeah, she's in my sister circle. Okay. When I told her that I was going to be speaking with you. She said, make sure you tell Miss Winters I said hello. <laughs> Yes. yes, I knew her mother well. Her mother was a beautiful, beautiful person. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Well, we go way back, way back yeah. to Rochester, New York. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. she was saying. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. But I was thinking about my sister's circle, and that's how I thought about Damari. Um, but just in my circle alone, a lot of us have had these corporate experiences that have just drained the lives, our souls out of our bodies. I know mm -hmm. that I did, and that's one of the reasons why I quit my job in 2019. But just hearing you say just about those microaggressions for any woman that's listening, that I want them to be thinking or to be aware that they may not even think that it's mentally taxing or emotionally taxing, but it requires energy to exist in that every day. Hearing you say that you left corporate America to do your own thing, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of women that are listening because a lot of us are doing that. Black women start their own businesses at at least two times the rate of, of uh, anybody else. Mm -hmm. you know, we are starting our own businesses at an alarmingly higher, higher rate. Black women, in particular, women, yes, women, but black women, even more so. Black women are starting I believe I saw a statistic that said black women start their own businesses at twice the rate of white women and white women start their own businesses at twice the rate of white men. So a lot of women in general are starting their own businesses because they are not finding it friendly in these large organizations, but black women in particular. Yeah, for sure. Um, can we talk more about the unique challenges that black women do face when we come to like just how we intersect in all these different ways? Because you talked about that in your book as well. Can we talk about yeah, that? Yeah, the inter intersectionality is, is so key. And of course, that's a term that was coined by um, Kimberly Crenshaw um, when there was a lawsuit um, some years ago, I think it was in the 80s, where the judge said, well, you, you can't talk about, you can't have a suit that looks at um, race um, and gender. You've got to separate, is it race or is it gender? And so she uh, made the case that these intersecting identities were unique. You know, race, race has its own uh, issues, gender has its own issues, but when you bring the two together, those issues are, those issues are compounded. Um, and so she was the first one to, and so today we look at intersectionality as not just race, it can be race, gender, socioeconomics. I've already spoken about that. I'm saying, you know, you're a black woman who's the CEO of, a, of her own company or a black woman who's an executive vice president in a large corporation. You've got a black woman who is at minimum minimum wage, um, you know, try, trying to make it. And so 
Um, that's another intersectionality, socioeconomics, right? And so we have to look at all of those intersections and um, how do all of those intersections, um, you know, come together. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, generations, right? Um, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm, I'm a, you know, older generation. And, you know, my daughter is, uh, who's uh, the president now of the company and um, chief operating officer. Uh, she calls herself a zennial across, she's at the cusp of millennial and Gen X, right? Okay. And so we have different ways of thinking about the world. We have different ways of, of walking. You know, we have different, you know, um, ideas and thoughts. And so intersectionality, um, you know, is, is really important to consider. So we do exercises with some of our clients where we ask them, you know, to think about their identity. So when you think about, you know, who you are, I think about myself, um, you know, as an African-American, heterosexual, cisgender, um, you know, woman, um, with two children, I'm, a, I'm widowed, you know, so all of these identities, you know, play into, you know, um, how I, how I, how I experience the world, you know, my, my, my humanity. So I would invite, um, you know, our listeners to think about all of those intersections that you have that can, that can be stressors, right? They can be joy as well. You're talking about black girl joy. They can be joy as well, but, but they can be stressors. So we're not just and no one is just one thing. But when we think about the power dynamics in this racialized world, so we live in a racialized world, right? A racialized world where white is on the top and the darker you get. So there's colorism. That, that's, a, that, that's another, you know, issue. And so if you're a light-skinned Black woman, you walk in the world differently than a dark-skinned, um, you know, Black woman. Things are changing. But, you know, even 20 years ago, you would not see a dark-skinned um, model, you know, modeling, right? I mean... Uh, so those are the kinds of things that we that we uh, we have to think about. A uh, colleague of mine, she'll say uh, that she was always told as she was growing up, oh, you're pretty cute for a dark skinned girl. I mean, think about what that does to your psyche, right? To tell somebody for a dark skinned girl, you're cute, right? That dark is not, you know, not preferred. But um, yeah. so so, yeah, so it's it's complex. There's lots and lots of layers. And um, it and that's what the fatigue is about having to walk in this world um, every single day and on so many different levels, um, not being validated as a full, as a full human, as a beautiful human, as somebody who, you know, whether your hair is straight or, or natural or whether you're large, we've got someone on our team who talks about um, fatism, you know, a lot, whether you're large or small, you know, we have this image, right. Of what, what beauty looks like. And I talk about that in the, in the chapter, um, you know, as well. And, um, you know, Black women, for the most part, don't fall into that, what that dominant group image is of what is beautiful, right? And so we do all sorts of things like... Um... Okay, so what do Gail Anderson, Oprah Winfrey, and Big Boy have in common? These are three people in media who back in the day showed me that my dreams were possible. These visionaries paved the way for me to take a huge chance on myself by sharing my voice in the podcasting space. Black representation in media didn't happen by chance. We had to fight for the right to be heard, to be seen, to share our stories, and to take up space. Imagine if you could have some of the power, richness, and depth of the Black experience in one curated space. You can. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, and empowerment, as well as perspective of the culture in real time. 
Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Conversations ranging from Abbott Elementary to mental health to Tracy Ellis Ross, there is no limit to the range you will find on Black Stories, Black Truths. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. It's okay to be skeptical and to question things that don't quite sound true. Like the time that I was dating someone that was trying to earn cool points, so told me he liked every single TV show that I did, but then couldn't tell me any of the names of the characters on these shows he claimed to love. Like, seriously? If something seems too good to be true, do some digging before you invest your time, energy, or money. This is why when it comes to my health, I use Ritual because they know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our high standards. Their clinically backed essential for women 18 plus multivitamin has high quality traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. These multivitamins are gentle on my stomach and are so easy for me to take. It's crucial that I trust what I'm putting into my body, so I love that Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, which is a huge deal. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash self-care. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash self-care for 25% off. Your girl is a homebody, so one of the best parts of the day for me is when I can come home, put on my comfy pajamas, get snuggled up on the couch, and enjoy something to drink while catching up on a TV show. The thing is, though, that I don't want to drink wine all the time because, though I love it, I'm no longer a huge wine drinker like I was back in the day. I have morning headaches and even inflammation to thank for that. So, to help fill that gap, I've been enjoying Recess Mood as a guilt-free way to unwind. Recess Mood really is a vibe, y'all. There are only 20 calories per serving, no added sugar, and it's infused with stuff I like, including mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, which really helps me to relax after a high-energy day. Recess Mood has four delicious flavors to choose from. My personal fave is Strawberry Rose. If one of your goals in 2024 is to drink less alcohol this is the way give recess mood a try today and see how relaxed it helps you feel you deserve a healthier way to unwind head to takearecess.com forward slash self-care and get 15 percent off recess mood your go-to alcohol replacement eyelashes i don't like the eyelashes but anyway the eyelashes and the you know and the and the hair and the you know the, the weaves and all of that kind of stuff and bleaching cream the um and this is this is worldwide so black black women all over the world the market for bleaching cream is like hundreds of billions of dollars it's a huge market because people want to lighten their skin to look more to look more white so yeah it's a lot <laughs> it's yeah, a lot, it is a lot. <sighs> deep sigh it is definitely definitely a lot. it's a lot to navigate but what what's so wonderful you know is uh, forums like this um, and other things that we are doing as Black people, as Black women, to lift each other up. A couple of weeks ago in Charlotte, I was at a Black girls art show. It's, it goes all around the country. And it was just wonderful to see all of these Black women displaying their art, all, all different kinds of art, all different kinds of media. And I was, I noticed that like probably 95% of them had natural hair. And so, you know, me being older, I've had natural hair. I've had natural hair since the seventies, actually. Um, and I had a, a colleague, he wasn't even my boss when I was in the corporate world. 
I had a short natural at that time, a very short natural at that time. And um, he said, he came in my office and he said, will your hair grow? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you ought, he said, well, you ought to let it, mm. you know? And so, yeah, so that kind of, you know, you know, it, 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 it had that happened in the seventies and I never forget it. I've, I've never forgotten it. You know, I've never, because it hits you, right. It, it hits you. I can, I'm not going to be accepted unless my hair looks, you know, unless I straighten my hair, my hair looks like, you know, a white person's hair um, to the extent possible. So it, yeah, so it, it is, um, but, but what I like is that we are beginning to more so, and I'm seeing it with the, with, um, with the younger generations, just really being so okay with who I am. I'm okay. And we're seeing it with, you know, the um, various uh, entertainers like Lizzo, you know, um, who's just, you know, be, being herself, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that um, those are the kinds of images when you see people who see women who are, are willing to say, you know, like Lizzo, like, yeah, I'm a large girl, right? And, but I'm gonna, you know, um, that's who I am. And uh, it's not bad. I don't need to lose weight. I don't need to, um, I don't, I don't need to fit some kind of mold. Uh, it's freedom, right? That's what liberation looks like. And so that's what we're all searching for, liberation. I think black women are now um, taking care of our health more, more. I mentioned before, you know, we, sometimes don't do that because we've got all these other things that we have to do. But, um, you know, I see us being involved in, you know, with, with, with yoga and exercise and all of those kinds of things. And, um, you know, you talked about the group that you have, the, you know, Black Women's Circle or something. You know, there are lots of those going on around the country where we're supporting each other, where we're having that forum to just be able to, to share and to talk. We have a group of girlfriends, 12 of us. We've been getting together um, well, we get, get together annually and we go someplace, but the, like, the last few years, obviously we haven't been able to because of the pandemic, we're going to start again. But, you know, they're all women who have been in different kinds of, you know, roles, they're educators, um, they're, you know, from the corporate world, um, just different kinds of roles and our opportunity to get together and just let our, let our hair down, so to yeah. speak, and not have to, not have to pretend, not have to say, oh, can I say that? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just been amazing. And we've been doing that for over 20 years. Mm, I love that so much. And I'm thankful to you because it's people like, it's women like you and people like you that um, did the work or started this work years ago that have enabled us to even be where we are right now, have even enabled the millennials. Cause I was speaking to a millennial actually yesterday, I did an interview with Brianna Holt. She's the author of a book that I had recently read about just millennials existing in this post-racial um, society. And um, one of the things that stood out to me that I told her is just like millennials are not they're not playing. They're not. They're not doing this anymore. <laughs> like right, exactly. Millennials <laughs> and Gen Zs, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I'm just thinking, though. But to get to that point, it required a lot of work. It required a lot of pain. It required that struggle that we had to persist through uh, mm-hmm. to even get to that point. So I pray that even future generations beyond that continue just to mm-hmm. move the ball forward. You know what I mean? But we have social media now, you know, that we didn't have, you know, um, when I was that age, you know, my 20s, 30s, um, and even 40s, we didn't have, um, you know, social media. I think social media, you know, social media can be bad, but it also can be really, really good because it can bring people together. 
people who wouldn't ordinarily, you know, know about each other. And so I think that um, we've, I think we have effectively used social media as well. Black women have. Yeah, for sure. Social media has changed the face of, of a lot for, for good, but there's still some, there's just so much sneaky stuff going on with social media. And I guess that's a conversation for another time, but looking at the bright side of it, yes, it does connect us. We need to have that ability to connect in different ways and to learn from each other in different ways too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so that word like of this is what's happening right now and we can kind of support people and get behind them versus that one person maybe experiencing a microaggression for example and not really having any like well what do i do with this who can i talk to right about? exactly <laughs> having, exactly because sometimes we do we just we just need that space you know to be able to just not be judged and just not you know not, not even even when sometimes there is no answer per se mm -hmm. just being heard and just having somebody else affirm you Right, you know, can be can can be very healing, and that's part of it. That's a big part of what this movement is all about. It's about healing and uh, correcting the harm um, that you know that has been done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I know that there's been like a greater awareness of the impacts of uh, racism on mental health, and again, we're in this quote unquote post-racial, <laughs> keep laughing when I say that. We, we are not in a post-racial society. We are not in a post-racial society. No. That's, that, that term came out when um, Barack Obama was, um, mm -hmm. was elected president. Uh, but based on everything that we've seen, you know, uh, in the ensuing years, absolutely not. Nobody should be using this word post-racial society because um, <laughs> it is definitely not post. It is a racialized world. Um, and we see it every single day. You know, we saw it last week with the two Tennessee um, legislators who were um, expelled from their posts, from their office, uh, and the white woman wasn't. So there were three of them that had, um, um, three of them that uh, were supporting, supporting high school students who were protesting mm -hmm. about gun control because there had been a mass shooting uh, killing at a Catholic school in Nashville, Tennessee. And so the students came to the state house to call for tighter gun control. And these three democratic legislators joined their protest. And because the head of the legislators said that they broke decorum, they were expelled from their roles as legislators. Now one has been, been reinstated, but the point is, is that the white woman was not. The vote, they took a vote and they voted the two black men out. They did not vote the white woman out. And she said, the white woman said, the only difference is the color of my skin. So she recognized the racism, uh, but that's just a, that's just a, you know, a recent example. Um, the attacks on um, attorney, uh, attorney general, um, Alvin Bragg in New York around the stuff with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And uh, Donald Trump has called him all, all sorts of, of racist uh, kinds of names. And so, you know, we can just go deep in terms of, of what's happening. Kids in schools who are, you know, traumatized um, by racial slurs and whatnot. So no, 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 no. <laughs> we do not live in any kind of post-racial world. <laughs> yeah, definitely agree. And leading into that, I was gonna ask like, in your opinion, what work still needs to be done? I feel, and I, I don't know, I just feel like 
I don't even know how to express this thought. I just feel like black people have already done enough, <laughs> but th these issues are still happening. They're still happening. Decades, be, be, decades. Yeah, because that's because that's because the world, that's because society doesn't want it any other way. When you have power, you don't want to give up that power. And they feel that, that, that it's a scarcity mentality. So if I give more to, to you, then that means I get less rather than an abundance mentality that there's enough for all and that we are all human um, and that we all deserve the same, you know, the same rights. And so unless you change that mentality. And so I, I hear the younger people saying that it's not our work to do, it's white people's work, you know, to do. Um, I, I, well, I, while I might agree with that in concept, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, look who's doing the work. I mean, look who's doing the work around the, you know, around the country um, for, um, for, for Black people, uh, for rights of Black people. It's Black women, it's Black men. There are so many Black women who are in the movement who are doing such, you know, great um great things, the Black Lives Matter, um, young ladies, I can't call their names right now, um, but, um, you know, that's how that movement started, but, you know, Black black women um, and other, um, you know, the stuff that Kimberly, that Kimberly Crenshaw does, the contributions that people like Nicole Hannah-Jones are making, and, um, you know, I mean, the list goes, list goes on and on of Black women who are, um, you know, people like Shonda Rhimes, you know, of course, Oprah, but I mean, you know, that list goes on and on about contributions that that Black women are, are making, not just in their field, but speaking up and out about inequalities and, and equity and, you know, leading that charge, mm -hmm. leading that charge, even, even though, you know, as you say, it's not our work to do. Um, but it always has been our work to do, and I don't see that changing, unfortunately. Yeah, I had to take a breath on that one, like, because I'm 47 years old, and I have a daughter. She's, uh, she'll be 21, I had to think about it, she'll be 21 this year. Mm -hmm. And just even hearing that alone just makes me, it just, I just, I don't know, it just makes me angry. It just makes me feel all these emotions, like, our children shouldn't still have to be dealing with this. Like they should not. That's right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we move forward? Because I know that in the book that you gave some uh, things, I think they were geared obviously more specifically to white people, um, mm -hmm. like um, reparations. And I'll let you talk about it, like reparations, changing the systems, which you talked about before. Um, and then obviously just, understanding that we can't catch up with hard work is what you said, and it can't be done individually. Um, what are some ways forward, I guess, for Black women? So I think, I think what Black women are doing is what we need to do. You know, band together, collaborate. Um, you know, we haven't, the system doesn't incentivize us necessarily to work together. The system incentivizes us, you know, to be like the crabs in the barrel, right? You know, mm. one comes and you pull, pull the other one down. And I think I'm seeing that change. And so I think that we need to continue to um, continue to do that, continue to lift each other up, continue to collaborate, continue to look at ways, looking at ways that I can do some better partnering with, with my company after 39 years. I'm talking to some other women entrepreneurs who do things kind of similarly to me. And what, how can we share resources? How can we, you know, um, do this work, um, you know, together? 
rather than separately. So I think that that's um, that's something. I think you know for Black women listening here, it's really do take care of yourself. I'll just really really focus on your well being and not be guilty about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, enough is enough. You are enough. And I think so from an individual perspective, from a collective perspective, as I said, we need to we need to be that collective. We need to to reach out in unison, loud voices. Um, you know, we still have a lot of factions. We have our sororities, right? Which you can only get into a sorority if you have a college degree. And then we have other sort of um, what do you call it? elite black organizations, right? And those elite black women organizations don't always connect well with the activist type of of, uh, woman. So so you've got the elite black women who, you know, like the luxury life and, you know, um, it's about acquiring material things, right? Uh, That's that's making a statement. And then you have black women just as educated, just as smart, that's not important to them. What's important to them is the cause. What's important to them. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying the quote elite black women is not important to them. I'm just saying that um, they may be less likely to come together with the activists to be a part of a protest. I think we need to do, I think we need to do more of that. I think we need to look at our own hierarchy, our own hierarchy among black women. Yeah. So that would be something I would say we should do. Mm. I love that, giving me some ideas too about just doing my best to collaborate more, which like I told you before we started, I'm just like, because I still have some things that I'm working through. So it is hard for me to collaborate sometimes because I just, I'm very introverted and I'm in my little bubble. And so just collaborating or, or being in conversation with people can be challenging for me, but just being able to do that a bit more to help us just in general and to, to support my sisters, I think it's something that I can definitely do uh, more. Uh, you know, you, you do it in your way. You, you know, you're, you're an introvert and that's absolutely right. And so you do it in your, you're doing, this, this is your way. So you are doing it. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, I know we have to wrap up very soon. I just have a couple more questions. Like, what do you do for self-care? Oh, what do I do? Um, I go to the Caribbean. I go to Barbados. <laughs> I love Barbados. I sit on the beach. <laughs> That's my thing. <laughs> I love that. that. Yeah. Travel, yeah. beach, sun, uh-huh. all those good things. Oh, I love that. Um, I was going to ask you about liberation. Um, oh, how do we start to heal from Black fatigue? Well, I mean, I think that is it. I mean, healing from black fatigue um, is about taking care of ourselves, is about knowing that we're enough. It is about saying, saying no, setting boundaries and being okay with setting those boundaries. You know, so we set boundaries and then we feel guilty. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, that was a boundary, you know. So I think that all of that um, is is um, how we um, heal from black fatigue and, you know, listen to our bodies, listen to our mind, you know, um, if it feels like you should take a break, take a break. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done that oftentimes because we feel, ah, oh, if I do that, I'm not going to have enough money for this. If I do that, I'm going to lose this job. If I do that. So we, you know, we have to be, you know, we have to think about it. And right. We don't want to just say, okay, Mary Francis told me I need to rest. So I'm going to, you know, leave and quit my job. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm more, more or less saying that um 
figure out what you need and then figure out a way to get what you need because it's there. The universe is there to supply everything that you need and want. It's already there. You just have to be um, innovative enough, you know, to think broadly enough. How can, my mother used to say, my mother used to ne never let me say I can't. Yeah. She would always say it's how can I? Mm -hmm. How can I? And it may, it may take a little bit longer. It may take a little bit longer. But the question is not, I can't. The question is, how can I? Mm. Powerful. And then my final question, as we wrap up our conversation, um, is there a message of support you'd like to leave for the Black woman who's listening to us today and she just feels exhausted? <laughs> like, is there a final word that you could give her? I would say... Um, just affirm, find a mirror, look in that mirror and say, I am everything. Mm. I am beautiful. I am enough. And I am, and it is okay for me to rest. Heard. <laughs> Definitely heard. So where can we find you and your books, Mary Frances? So the books are on um, Amazon, um, but I always um, recommend uh, that you try to find an independent Black bookstore, and they're there. They're there as well. So um, Black Fatigue, How Racism Erodes the Mind, Body, and Spirit. The newest book is Racial Justice at Work, and it talks about the workplace and racial justice, practical solutions for systemic change. And I wrote a book before that called We Can't Talk About That at Work, How to Talk About Race, Religion, Politics, and Other Polarizing Topics. So all of the books, though, you can initially find them on Amazon. And, but again, um, you know, look up your independent Black bookstore in your, in your location. Got it. And if someone wants to follow you on social media, are you um, you're on Instagram, I know. Instagram, Facebook. Um, MF Winters or Mary F. Winters, not really sure which it is, but yeah, you can find me LinkedIn. Uh, definitely find me on LinkedIn. Definitely find me on Instagram and um, on Facebook, Mary Frances Winters. And the company name is the Winters Group Incorporated. The Winters Group Incorporated. Awesome. I'll be sure to put that information where they can find you and everything in the show notes uh, for today's episode as well. So that's it for the conversation. I just want to thank you so much for being in the space with me, spending time with me today and um, allowing us to dive deep into this fatigue that I know a lot of us are feeling. I'm just very appreciative of, of just everything that you are. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and all the best to you on everything that you're doing. Keep it up because we need you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, so I'm back. How did you feel after listening to this episode? Um, I would definitely love to hear from you. You can email me at connect at browngirlselfcare.com. Again, that's connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, at browngirlselfcare.com. Um, I really, my biggest takeaway for this episode was just a reminder that it takes so much energy to deal with what we experience on a regular basis so my whole point of this is that i want you to remember that when you are feeling tired and you can't figure out why just remember what we talked about in this episode that 
microaggressions, just, just the whole experience with black fatigue, even though you may not consciously be aware of it, it can be very taxing. And this is why I really want us to continue to center our joy, to continue to center our peace, and to continue to center sisterhood as well as just freedom and liberation. So hopefully you picked up on all of that in the episode today. So um, with that said, that is it for this week's episode of the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and um, I will see you next Monday with another episode. Have a blessed week.